Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. Now, for some of us, this is a great day, and for some of us, it's a not-so-great day, but as we start this day of worship, whether you be here or, or watching online, let's have uh, a prayer for our fathers today. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you bless those fathers who have striven to balance the demands of work and marriage and children with an honest awareness of both joy and sacrifice. Let us praise those fathers who, lacking a good model for a father, have worked to become a good father. Father, we ask you to bless those fathers who are by their own account not always there for their children, but who continue to offer those children now grown their love and support. Let us pray for those fathers who have been wounded by the neglect and the hostility of their children. Father, we ask you to bless those fathers who, despite divorce, have remained in their children's lives. And let us praise those fathers whose children are adopted and whose love and support has offered healing. And Father, we ask that you bless those fathers who, as stepfathers, freely choose the obligation of fatherhood. And earn their stepchildren's love and respect. And let us praise those fathers who have lost a child to death and continue to hold that child in their heart. Father, we ask that you bless those men who have no children, but cherish the next generation as if they were their own. And Father, we ask those who bless those, we ask you to bless those men who have fathered us in their roles as mentors and guides. But, Father, we ask you to bless those men who are about to become fathers. May they openly delight in their children. And, Father, we ask that you bless the families of those whose fathers have died, but live on in their memory and whose love continues to nurture them. Amen. That is a prayer for all of us. We all have got different situations. And and I'll tell you, my Father's Day celebration in 2020 is much different than it was in, say, 2010, first and foremost, because my father is gone. But uh, it's on these days where uh, they just feel closer than ever, don't they? And uh, sometimes it's it's real easy to to get on Facebook or social media and everybody's posting about their fathers. And some days that's easy for me and some days it's not. But you know what? Whether our father is in this world or in the next world. We know, as we sang earlier, that God is our good, good Father. And so as we look at the Scriptures today, we are going to look at the parable of the loving Father. Yes, the parable of the loving Father. You see, God is a loving Father that loves us whether we are faithful to Him or not. And He is a Father that is worth serving and returning to. Never lose sight of the fact that God is your Heavenly Father. And he has fixed his gaze upon you. So good morning and welcome to our Father's Day worship service. And I'm glad you've chosen to attend in person or online through our Facebook live feed. Because this is a day that for some will be joyous and others will be a reminder of what they have lost. But as I said a moment ago, either way you look at today, remember that God is our ultimate Father. For better Or for worse, he has always been there. 
and always will be. But I am all too aware of the fact that when we have occasions like Mother's Day and Father's Day or Grandparents' Day, there is a wide range of emotions and experiences that we bring to the table today. They fill our hearts and our souls and our minds. And whether your experience with fatherhood has been a positive thing or a negative thing, your final chapter has not been written yet. Let me say that again. Your final chapter has not been written yet. So join me this morning, if you would, by opening your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We'll be in Luke chapter 15 today as we look at what the, the title says, the, pro, the parable of the prodigal son. This is one of three parables that, that Jesus is using to talk about those that are lost. But we also see the father's love clearly. So when I say that we're looking at the prodigal of the loving or the, the parable of the loving father, it's the same text. It's the same text. We see a loving father in this passage. And while the son is the subject of the parable, I would like for us to take a look at specifically how the father handles this situation. The father is placed in an impossible situation. Have you ever been placed in an impossible situation? Maybe getting asked something in front of people you don't want to give an answer to, or you're put in situations that are beyond your control. I would like for us to take a look this morning at specifically how the father handles a very tough situation. One of greed. And jealousy between both of his sons. If you are a parent that has or have had, or a grandparent that has or had have multiple siblings, you will know the the difficulty of you love both of them equally, but it's just different sometimes. And and sometimes the kids will pitch you against the other one. So how does a loving father that is pulled between two sons handle this? Well, let's go see. The first thing we see is that a father loves regardless. A father loves regardless. And we can see that in Luke 15, verse 1. And we don't have to go any further than verse 1, that a father loves regardless. That's what the loving father does in this parable. This is an illustration of what God does. And this is how... what. We as fathers and mentors should do in this world is love regardless. To illustrate this point further, Jesus told them the story of a man had two sons. That's the first part of verse uh, 11 of uh, Luke 15. I know I said one, but I meant 11. See, God loves those that are lost. Let me say that again. God loves those that are lost. Do you, does that resonate with you, those of you that have been a Christian longer than you can remember? Does that resonate with you, those of you that felt the loving, forgiving grace that cleansed your life many years ago? God still loves those that are lost. The point of the lost parable, it was to show the Jews and the early believers in the church that God's tremendous love that he had for the lost. You see, this parable continues the theme of God's love. For those who are lost, like a despised tax collector, of which they saw Jesus hanging with. Some of his own disciples were were unruly fishermen and a tax collector. And so he was hanging out with the wrong crowd, according to the Jews. 
But he also, he adds the theme in this passage of the restoration of a believer to the fellowship. See, no matter how far you feel like today that your sin has separated you from God, no matter how far away God feels, either by your own actions or by just the world's influence or whatever you want to put there, but if you feel far away from God, no whatever your age, no matter whatever your age is, I want you to understand no matter how far your sin has separated you from God, you can always return. You can always return. Can I please get an amen on that? Okay, we're alive. Can I get a like for that? I mean, think about this. I have, you know, even though I am a pastor, and I say that with my jaw sticking out like I'm better than everybody else, I am not better than everybody else. I've got issues just like you all have issues. And there are times where I thank God that I can return to Him regardless. You see, Jesus proves, Jesus proves that no matter how sinful someone seems, they are worthy of salvation and worthy of redemption because God's character remains constant. The main character in this parable is the forgiving Father whose character remains constant throughout the entire Bible. And the thing is, I said a father's love loves regardless. God loves you, every one of you here. God loves you regardless. This parable starts with the fact that the man has two sons. He loved both his sons, even though they had taken two totally different paths. The younger son's goal in life was to please himself. He wanted more out of life than he thought the Father could give him. And why do we run? Why do we rebel? Why do we do things that are wrong? We don't have to look any further than the Garden of Eden to see Adam and Eve. They went outside of God's will because they thought they were missing something. And when we rebel from God, we think that we're missing out on something. And yet he had the other son, so his whole goal in life was to please his father. But his sense of duty considered him to be the good son, but yet he was foregoing a relationship as well. And we'll see that in just a minute. But let's face it, sibling rivalry is not a new thing. You can read the Bible and look at Cain and Abel and see how sibling rivalry started. Many brothers and sisters have compared their father's love while forgetting the fact that the parents love them both for who they are. And who is that? Their children. So while you are filled, or whether you are filled with regret or pride, our God, our Heavenly Father, loves you for who you are. Why? Why does God love you today? Why are you worthy of God's love? Even if you are the worst of sinners here today, why are you worthy of God's love? If you're watching on this video, why are you worthy of God's love? Two reasons. Number one, you are His creation. He created you in His image to initiate a relationship with you. That's why He created you. And also, for those of you that are believers, you are His children. He has adopted you into the family and you are heirs of everything that He has. So some of you today may need to start a relationship with the loving Father, but some of you may need to restore your relationship with your Heavenly Father. The second thing that we see is that a father's love never gives up. So a father's love 
loves regardless. And also a father's love never gives up. Luke chapter 15. Starting in verse 12. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth among the sons. A few days later, the younger son packed his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. Woo! Yeah! Party it up! Got everything you could ever dream of. They didn't have cars. I guess they had camels. Faster camels and faster women. I don't know. But it was not good what he was following. So anyway, he started that wild living. Something that some people would love to have. In verse 14 it says, About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and began to starve. Buddy, I've been there when I was a teenager and I realized when I stopped doing the things that they were doing and I stopped supporting what they were doing and paying for what they were doing and I lost the love for what they were doing, I found out what kind of friends they really were. They just went on to the next person. And this man is finding this out. And this is totally beyond his control. You cannot control a famine. You cannot control a storm. And it says he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. So he went to beg for a job. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. So he went from the big house to the barn house. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs Looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. I tell you what, when sin drags you to the bottom, even pig slop doesn't look appealing. When God drags me to the bottom, when you're looking at pig slop, you're thinking, well, it's better than nothing. You know, so much of you're, you're getting something to eat and it falls on the floor, you use the three second rule, right? So he said, no, not at all. And that's fine. But some of us will just say, hey, three seconds, come on. But in three seconds, it's probably a dumb rule. But the thing is, is that look, when we are dragged down by sin, even the worst looking things look great. It says in verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, I love that. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am just dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. Notice that. He asked his father for the inheritance, but he realized that his his sin was actually against the heavenly father as well. And he says in verse 18, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. Verse 19, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please Take me on as a hired servant. If you are in sin, it will scream at you that you are not worthy. It will blind you from the fact that you are God's creation and you were created in His image. If you are a child of God, it will blind you to the heritage and the family line that you have as a child of God. And it will lie to you and make you feel like you are not worthy. But here's the thing that we see in the prodigal's life, and I I wish I had the the slides up, but they're not going to come up. But I I really want you to get this, and I really want you to understand this. God will give you what you don't need in order to realize what you do need. 
God will give you what you don't need in order for you to realize what you do need. I have seen this with friends and church members who they have kids that they they start choosing things and friends and things that they know are wrong. And the parent sometimes has to just watch them make a mistake so they will learn the answer. Folks, I don't know about you, but this whole thing about not letting anyone fail is stupid. I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to use the stupid word. It's dumb. It's dumb. What are the greatest lessons you've ever learned? When you failed. And the prodigal son has failed miserably here. He bet on the wrong horse. He led, he chose the wrong path. And now here he is at the bottom. But sometimes, let me let you, if you, I hear people, I don't know why God is putting all this on me. And I want to say, well, half of it's your own fault. Because when we are with people we shouldn't be with, doing things we shouldn't do, knowing that there could be consequences, why are we surprised when those consequences become true? Look, if I see the eye on the stove is hot, I am not going to be shocked if I put my hand on it and I burn my hand. Whoa, what's God doing to me? Why am I hand burning? God will give you what you don't need in order to realize what you do need. For the younger son to ask for his inheritance before his father passed away was the equivalent of the youngest son saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. It was more than him just asking dad for a loan. He was slapping his dad in the face. Not literally, but socially he was. It was this was, this was, you know, <laughs> I think when I was a kid and I would throw tantrums in the store. Yes, I was a spoiled little redheaded kid. And, and I would cry when I didn't get what I wanted. And I just thought, I bet my parents were like, I wish that kid would be quiet. And then I, I found out how bad they wanted me to be quiet once I got home. But the thing is, is that I was showing out. And some of you have seen it too. You'll see somebody's kid showing up and say, well, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. Knowing that you did the same thing with your kid. And the thing is, is that when they show out, you're like, oh my goodness. Well, this kid, this younger son showed out. Most in the day would have expected the father to discipline that son. Some of them would even go so far as to say, you need to beat your son because of that. I know that's not politically correct. I'm just saying that's what it was back in that day. The father knew that there was far more important lessons for the younger son to learn. So he gave him the money. I am sure as that father gave that son his inheritance He knew that that was going to be bad for his son. But he gave it to him anyway because he said, son, this is a lesson that only you can learn. What caused the prodigal son to even ask for that? Check this out. There's a few things. Number one, his value system has become confused. And that's happening in today's culture, especially. He valued things over relationships. He wanted the things that he could buy. He wanted the substances he could buy. He wanted the fame. He wanted the fortune. He wanted the fast living. I mean, the fact that he asked his father for this money was basically saying, look, I I don't want your help. So he valued things over his relationships. Look, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I know the American dream is to have a a house with a white picket fence and 2.5 kids. 
But the thing is, is that there are many fathers and mothers that are working themselves to the bone for a house payment, a car payment, a boat payment. And they're spending all their time at work to enjoy those things for a couple hours a week. And their kids are saying, where are you? And their kids are saying, look, I don't want things. I want my mom. I want my dad. Do not value the things over your relationships. Because the younger son pursued his pleasure over obligation. He had an obligation as a youngest son to fall in line and to do his part in the family, but he didn't want to do that. Let me ask you something. Every one of you, no matter what your age is, has God ever given you something you think for the only reason to let you know you needed something else? Has God ever answered your prayer or has God ever done something in your life to only show you you need something else? That's what was happening here. And maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a thing. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was your health. Notice the father gives the younger son what he thinks he needs. The young son's lost perspective of the fact that the father loved him and was protecting him. Kind of like the teenager I told you before. I was a youth pastor, and, and this was a junior high kid, and the parents said, look, you've got to come over here and do something with this kid. He's driving us nuts. Okay, I'll try. So I get over there, and I mean, he is just, he is irate. He is wound tight, and he tells his parents, I don't love you. I hate you. I just want you to feed me and give me a roof over my head so I can sleep. I'm like, okay. But that's the way we approach God, isn't it? We say, God, I want to do what I want. I want you to take care of me, and I want your blessings, but I want to do what I want. That's what America is like today, and the world is like today. Nobody wants to be told what they can and can't do, but they're saying, where's God in our world? Well, he's right here, but we're not listening. When you move out of God's ordained protection, when you move out of what God says in his word, you lose the covering and the blessing that comes with it. So don't complain when you get out in the rain without an umbrella and you get wet. Don't complain when sin enters the world and sin ravages this world and people say, where is God? God has not moved. We have come so far from where we should be. And so we see two truths of sin. We see, number one, the sin promises freedom. But it delivers slavery. Sin promises freedom, but it delivers slavery. If you want a verse, there's John 8, 34 that says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Also, sin promises success, but it brings failure. Sin promises success, but it brings failure. Romans 3, 23, for all or everyone has sinned and falls short of his glorious standard. We see in verses 20 and 21 that a father's love always leaves room for repentance and forgiveness. Let me say this one more time because I believe it's important. A father's love always leaves room for repentance and forgiveness. It breaks my heart when somebody says, I have not talked to my father in years. Or my father has not talked to me in years. I haven't talked to my mother in years. I haven't. Talk to my brother in years. And I want to just pick them up and shake them by the shoulders and say, understand one day they'll be gone. 
Because many of us in here have loved ones. We hold just one more second with them. And it would be easy for the loving father to say, uh-huh, son, you got what you deserve. Ha-ha. <laughs> Live in that pig slop. No. That's not what the loving father did. There was always room for repentance and forgiveness. Look at verse 20. So he returned to the home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. What does that tell you, folks? That means at the moment that son left, his father was looking for him. And I don't mean, well, he'll be back in a minute. I mean, searching, looking, hoping, looking down that long driveway and praying that one day he would see his son walk up the driveway. And it says that when he saw his son, he gave him a spanking and sent him to his room. Is that what it says? No. It says, filled with what? Two things. Love and compassion. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him. And kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Folks, notice the father was not consumed with disappointment and anger, but love and compassion. If you have disappointment and anger in your relationships, let me tell you something. God's love always is the antidote to that. The father realized his relationship with his son was more important than his own feelings and hurt. I've talked to people and said, look, I can forget about it. No, I can forgive him, but I'll never forget. That is not forgiveness. There are some people that hold on to their feelings of hurt and unforgiving spirit because they don't know how to live without it. And it's like a cancer that whittles away at their spiritual life and even their physical life as well. Who doesn't want to return to a relationship that has love and compassion? And the thing that I love, too, is if you notice in that text, the father didn't say, "Uh uh-huh, come on, I see you, come on. I'm I'm going to give you a big old, I told you so when you get to the front porch. Uh Uh-uh. Back in the day when I was a kid, I know that's a long time ago for some of you. But we actually could go out playing in the streets. We could ride bicycles without helmets. I'm not not advocating for that. But I'm just telling you, I mean, I probably should have worn a helmet with some of the stuff I did on my bike. But what they would do is, is that we would go eat, and then we would go out and play. And then when it got dark, you didn't have to go home. What did they do? They cut on the light. They cut on the light and you knew that when the light was on, you need to start coming home. And so you knew that once you got there, it was time to take your bath and to get ready for bed and say your prayers and all that kind of stuff like that. And leave the light on. This loving father, God the father, leaves the light on for you when you are lost in the darkness so you can run home to him. And he doesn't just wait and say, okay, big boy, get here. He runs to you. Many of you have forgot the fact that God pursued you and pursues you constantly. And if you feel far away from him, it's not because he stopped. It's because you're facing a different direction. It was considered undignified for an older man to run, but dramatic reunions took precedence over dignity. This man did not care what other people thought. He ran to his son. 
One's image should never be more important than their relationships. Let me say that one more time. One's image should never be more important than your relationship. I could care less what you think about me when it comes to my wife and I. Because that's the relationship that is priority. It doesn't mean I want you to think bad about me. I hope you don't. But there will be some days somebody will say, oh, I can't believe you did his hair like that. He wore, he wore those pants last week. And all those crazy things like that. I, go ahead. Talk about me. Give somebody else a break. But when it comes to my image, I want to put forth the best image I can. But at the end of the day, it's my relationships that count. And you, in your life, who cares what people say? God said that you are good. God said that I made you in my image. And regardless of what people say, guard your relationships. Because everybody else doesn't have to walk in your shoes. And everybody else is not going to be accountable to God for you. So find the freedom in that. That no matter how bad this wayward son was, the loving father had love and compassion and ran towards his wayward son. So, how do we return? It's called repentance. And this world doesn't like to hear that word. Some people don't even act like they don't know what it means. But to repent means simply this. Turn. To turn. If we're going down the road and I ask Donna to turn, what are we, what am I asking her to do? Change direction. And my friend, if you are running away from God and living in sin, you need to turn from that sin and turn toward God. That is repentance. Too many of us, we like to say, God, I'm sorry for my sin, but we don't want to quit doing it. That ain't repentance. That's foolishness. That's carnality. And that's what the devil wants. True repentance means to turn. third thing that we see is that a loving father or a father's love restores relationships. A father's love restores relationships. Verse 22 through 24 says, But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. God the Father makes you right when you return to him. There are so many people who say, well, I'll come to God when I get better, when I stop doing what I'm doing. That ain't how it works. God's the one that does the cleaning up. How do we know that? Notice, the prodigal son said he was not worthy, right? I'm not worthy to come back to my family. I'll just work as a hired hand. But his father said otherwise. How do we know that? Well, his father gave him a robe of his own. So the father gave his wayward son one of his very own robes that said to everybody, This is my son. And that robe he will give to you and say, this is my son. This is my daughter who was lost but has returned back to me. Then he gave him the ring. The ring was a family ring. That meant if you had that ring on, you were part of the family. So he's not a hired servant. He gets the family ring back. And then after that, he says, put sandals on his feet. Well, what's the big deal about that? Everybody's got sandals, right? Nope, not back in those days. 
Back in those days, it was considered like to have a, a Rolls Royce or a, a Porsche or a Ferrari if you had sandals. And so he gave him these sandals that, that set him apart from all the hired servants that probably didn't have any. See, you can return to your heavenly father today. It says in Colossians 1, verses 19 to 22, For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So check this out, verse 21. This includes you who were once far away from God. I was far away from God. You have been far away from God. You may be far away from God right at this very moment. But it says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet, verse 22, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. So as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without one single fault. I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror, I'm always going to see a pound I don't want, a hair sticking around that I don't want. I'm going to look at me and I'm going to see there's something about myself I don't like. That's just the way I am. Some of you are like that. Some of you are very confident in the way you look and that's fine. But we can, all, we can all look and say, look, there, there's a deformity here. There's something I don't like about myself. But when God says, when you are redeemed, there is nothing against you. It doesn't matter that one sin that you don't want everybody to find out about. That sin that you prayed, God, please forgive me, time and time again. And he's, he has forgiven you, but you still have the scars from that sin. Understand that when you stand before God, it will not be there. That blemish will not be there because it has been forgiven. It says right here, you will stand before him. If you are a Christian, you have Jesus Christ in your life. You will stand before him without a single fault. Amen. Whew. Get excited here in a minute. Folks, if you're tired of running and if you're tired of being ruled by sin, and if you are far away from God, now is your opportunity to return to him. The last thing we see is that a loving father Loves the faithful as much as he loves the lost. A loving father loves the faithful as much as he loves the lost. We need to take a quick look at the older brother. You know, the older brother in the Old Testament, the older brothers get everything. All right? The older brother's got two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger brother got one-third. The older brother got the the business or or all, all the great rights that when the father passes on, the older son gets it. And so here's the older son. He's doing his hay work out in the back. And he's just doing his work. He's sweating. His turban is soaked. All that stuff. And it says, meanwhile, the older son, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working when he returned home. And he heard the music and dancing in the house. Well, you can tell he wasn't Baptist because there was no dancing if they were Baptist. Verse 26 says, and he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Sweating. There's a party up at the house. Hey, what's going on up there? Just doing his work, right? And so the servant said, your brother is back, he told you, and your father has killed a fattened calf, and we are celebrating his safe return. And the older brother said, whoa, wait a minute. 
says the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. So the father came out. The same loving father that brought in the prodigal son goes to the older son. The loving father came out and begged him. But the older son replied, all these years I've, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Isn't that just like somebody that thinks that they're better than somebody else? You're doing something for somebody else you've never done for me. That's what he's saying. In verse 30, we see that yet when the son of yours comes back. Notice, he didn't even claim him as a brother. He didn't say, and yet when my brother comes back. He says, this son of yours has come back. After squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. And his father looked at him and said, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. Let me tell you this. The older son didn't get this. He thought he was earning his love by the things that he was doing. But let me tell you something, and it may just set you free. I don't know. You do not have to earn God's love. You already have it. You do not have to earn God's love. You already have it. The older brother was blinded by his feelings of entitlement. The older brother received a greater portion of the inheritance. He could have had a party any time he wanted to, but he never asked. And so the older brother, he broke one of the greatest commandments. What was that? Love the Lord your God, love others as yourself. He had no love for his brother at that moment. And he was really mad at his father too. He held a grudge against his brother for disgracing the family name. And he openly condemned his brother's sin without seeing him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I know y'all are ready to go home. But let me just say this. He openly condemned his brother's sin without seeing his own. That is what most religious, pious, goody-two-shoes, better-than-Christians who call themselves Christians do, is they don't look at the person. They look at their sin and judge them. That is what the older brother was doing. So God is a loving Father that loves you. I'll close with this story. We'll be done. Irma Bombeck, some of you that are older will know her writings. She paints a portrait of a little girl who loved her dad, but wasn't sure exactly what dads do. One morning, my father didn't get up and go to work, she said. He went to the hospital and died the next day. I hadn't thought about it much or hadn't thought about him much before. He was just someone who left and came home and seemed glad to see everyone at night. He opened the jar of pickles when no one else could. He was the only one in the house who wasn't afraid to go in the basement by himself. He cut himself shaving, but no one kissed it or got excited about it. And it was understood when it rained, he got the car and he brought it around to the door so he could get in without getting wet. And when anyone was sick, he went out to get the prescriptions filled. He took lots of pictures, but he was never in any of them. Whenever I played house, the mother doll had a lot to do. 
But I never really knew what to do with the daddy doll, so I had him say, I'm going off to work now, and then I threw him under the bed. Well, the funeral was in our living room, and a lot of people came and brought all kinds of good foods and cakes. We had never had so much company before, and I went to my room, and I felt under the bed for the daddy doll. And when I found him, I dusted him off and put him on my bed. He never did anything, but I didn't know him leaving would hurt so much. God is a loving father. God is a loving father that loves us even when we are unfaithful to him. He is a father that is worth serving. And he is a father that is worth returning to. So never lose sight of the fact that God, your heavenly father, has his gaze fixed upon you today. If you are a father, Jesus has given you a great example to follow in the way that you should love your children in this passage. If you are lost and you need to return to God, your first step is a step towards God, which is repentance. If you are serving God faithfully, do not take his love for granted. And if you want something, ask for it. And know that no matter what your father's situation is today, your heavenly father loves you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your passage of scripture today that is about the prodigal son. But we see your love clearer than in in anything that we could read. And Lord, I pray for our fathers that are here today that need to be encouraged. I pray for the mothers, the sisters, and the brothers, and the nieces, and and the nephews, and the aunts, and the uncles, and all those in between. God, you've given us some great relationships. May we never put anything above our relationship with you. If there is one person either watching this by a video or here today that needs to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have the Father's love, that they have the Father's forgiveness, and that they can be a Christian and an heir of everything that God has, may they not leave this place without talking to me or someone that they trust, a pastor they trust, to make sure that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are a child of the loving Father. For those that are Christians today, but that have strayed, remind them of your love and that they just need to come back. I thank you for this time today. Thank you for this church. If there's anyone that wants to join the church, they can talk with me. I'll stay around until whenever. But Lord, we thank you. And I pray for those that are here today that what was said would not be a touchy feeling, but something that would change your lives. But that will only happen with your Holy Spirit. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.